Jesus. Praise God. Massive thank you to Raymond and Lindsay and the band for leading us again this morning. Awesome. Thank you very much. God bless you. Jesus. I'm on European time. It's okay. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> before he gets carried away. Uh, before I get into the message this morning, I'd just like to share a word of knowledge with you that God gave me during the prayer time. There's a verse in Psalm 91 that says, He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under his shadow. And Back in 1971, I think it was, two world champion motor racing drivers, Jim Clark and Jackie Stewart, met at the Indianapolis 500 track in America. Jim Clark had been there before. He had raced. He'd won the, the trophy. This was Jackie Stewart's first time at this massive oval circuit. And Jackie Stewart turns to Jim Clark and says, can you give me any hints, please? Or words to that effect, but with a Scottish accent. Because it's where they came from. And Jim Clark said, if you can't see the shadow of your tire against the wall, you're not close enough. You know, you can come to church seven days a week. 365 days of the year. You can go to every prayer meeting. You can join MCOM groups. You can get involved in evangelism and all sorts of other spiritual activities. But if you're not under the shadow of the Almighty, you're not close enough. And I believe there's someone here today and you're wrestling with this issue about being born again and you enjoy the social aspect it's wonderful, but if you're not under his shadow, you're not close enough. And you need to give your life today to Jesus. And I'd love to pray with you afterwards. God bless you. So, while preparing for this morning, my, my first title to the sermon was going to be Truth versus Facts. Nothing wrong with facts. Facts are useful. Facts tell us where we've come from, where we're going, what's going on around us. They paint a picture. But they are facts at the end of the day. And then part of the way through the preparation, I changed the title to Against the Odds. Now the odds stacked against us are facts very often that are real and they're necessary. But sometimes we have a wrong perspective on the facts but we're still against the odds. So I began to reflect a little bit and then I thought, you know, when you decide to read God's word, maybe you wake up one morning and you think, I've never done this, but I'm going to read the Bible through from cover to cover. From Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, to the end of Revelation 22, verse 21. I'm going to read it all through, not, not in a day. It's a bit too much of a challenge because that is against the odds. You know, but over a period of time. But to do it, you kind of need some facts to kind of help you. So, for example, just in case you don't know, there are 66 books in the Bible. So, it's a mammoth task that you're setting yourself upon. It's huge. But not forgetting that a mammoth is only a big hairy elephant. 
That's all it is. But it's 66 books. There's 39 in the Old Testament. There's 27 in the New. And if you're not careful, you get daunted before you begin and you're defeated before you start. But just to make this mammoth task a bit bigger, not only are there 66 books to read through, but there's 1,189 chapters. Whoa, that's a lot of reading. Well, just to make this mammoth a bit bigger, there's actually 31,102 verses to plow through. It's a bit of wonder we get discouraged along the way. And just to add a little quirk into the, the scenario, the longest verse in the Bible is Esther chapter 8 and verse 9. You might miss it when you're reading it through, not realize. The shortest verse is John 11 and verse 35. But the book starts with God, it finishes with God, and the center verse is Psalm 103 verse 1, where the psalmist declares, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And the beginning and the end are in God's control. Against the odds, God is still in control. That's the way it is. But not only have you got all those chapters and all those verses to read through, just by way of encouragement, there are something like 3,557 promises. That's amazing. Each one for you and me. And 365 times it's recorded, don't be afraid or fear not. Well, why is that? Because against the odds, the biggest giant we face usually is one of fear. Fear of the dark, fear of the unknown, fear of whatever is uncertain. Fear seems to get in the way and rob us of making progress in God. And added to the problem, added to this mammoth task is, well, which translation should I use? Well, because there are a hundred different English translations. Oh, which one should I go for? Should I go for Wycliffe? Should I go for the King James? Should I have Derby? Should I use Schofield? How about Thompson Chain? Or whatever, should I have the nearly infallible version or the living liable version? Which version should I use? Be glad some people are awake. Well, (laughs) the version I like to use on Sunday mornings in this kind of setting, I call it my invisible version. It's brilliant. You know, I mean, it's got soft covers. You can peel through the pages ever so easily. It's great. Now, the disadvantage of this, when I get to the back, it comes to the end. Revelation 22, verse 20, when there's nothing else. There's no Bible study helps. There's no concordance. There's no maps. There's not a plan of Solomon's temple. It's just, that's it. But if I go to the beginning of the book, I've got a contents page. Which is why I know there's 66 books in the Bible. Now, I know you don't believe me. Where's your Bible, Alan? Get the, you've got a contents page, haven't you? Certainly, you find your contents page. Now, if my contents page is different to yours, you need to get rid of that and have mine. <laughs> 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New. And here's my contents page. It goes, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second of Samuel, First and Second of Kings, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentation, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, Corinthians, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, 1st and 2nd of Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd of Timothy, Titus, Philemon, Hebrews, James, 
Peter, Peter, John, 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 Jude, Revelation. It's, it's a fact. That's all it is. God won't love you any more or any less if you know them backwards, upside down, inside out or not. God won't love you any more if you read the Bible through one day, through cover to cover in one day or whether it takes you six years. God doesn't love you more or less or mean more or less because we give ourselves to doing a noble task. But don't forget, this mammoth task is just a hairy elephant. And the way to eat an elephant is one bite at a time. And the way to eat this kind of hairy elephant is one verse at a time. It's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to start, and it's a good thing to go through it. And there are all sorts of methods you can use. But if I open my invisible Bible, it's great because whatever page I want is just there. Number 13 is where we are this morning. You can't go wrong. You want to get one. It's amazing. It's really good. Number 13, paraphrase version. Twelve spies went to spy in Canaan, ten were bad, and two were good. What did they see to spy in Canaan? Ten were bad, and two were good. Some saw giants tough and tall. Some saw grapes in clusters fall. Some saw God was in it all. Ten were bad, and two were good. But you see, the chapter actually starts where God speaks to Moses and says, Choose twelve men, twelve leaders, send them in to spy out the land, because... I am about to give it to you. 600 years earlier, God speaks to Abram in Genesis chapter 15. And God says, get this kind of animal and that kind of animal and get some birds and lay them out. And we can have a big sacrifice. And I'm going to commit myself to you in a covenant relationship. And God says, and when I can't swear by anybody greater, he swore by himself. But he told Abram, that his descendants, not only would they be like the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore, but they would be in slavery for 430 years. And 600 years pass, and they're right on the edge of the promised land. They could have left Egypt and done it in 11 days, according to Deuteronomy. 11 days! And here they are weeks and weeks later, and they're right on the edge. And they send in 12 spies. One is called Joshua, and another is called Caleb. And if you want to know the other ten, get an invisible Bible. But they go in. And Moses said, I want facts. That's all I want. Just come back with the facts. I want to know. Are the people weak or are they strong? Do they live in open camp or fortified cities? Is the land good? What's the soil like? What's the fruit like? Can you bring some of the fruit back for me? And so they go in and they come back with facts. And some evidence. And we're told that the bunch of grapes that they've cut down takes two men to carry on a pole between them. So why use the fruit? This is what it's like. This is amazing. I just want facts. Ah, but the problem is, you see, you know, there's, we've seen the sons of Anak there. We've seen the giants in the land. And, you know, we felt like grasshoppers in our sight and that's what we were in this. And the reality is this, you see, that the giants within us are very often greater than the giants outside of us. And that was the problem with these ten spies. Fear, the giant of fear grips them, and instead of rising up in faith and just delivering the facts with what Moses said, they allow fear to rob them, and the end result is 
dire because the end result means for one year, for every day they spend spying out the land, they spend wandering the wilderness. Forty years in the desert. But their people cry all night and they choose, they want to choose a leader. It's odd what, what, what these people do. You know? We can't, we, we can't defeat these. They're greater than us. We need somebody else. We don't need Moses. We need a new leader. Who's going to lead us? Back to Egypt. What are you going to go back into slavery for? What, what's the mentality going on? But you see, when fear rises its head, we don't think logically. We don't think in faith. Sight is transferred from where it should be on God, who said to Moses, I am about to give you this land. I'm about to give it to you. All you have to do is go in, spy, look it over, come back with the facts, and I have a way in. But fear pre- prevented them from going forward. And it's against the odds that Caleb stands up and there's two million people moaning and groaning and weeping and wailing and crying and he silences the people against the odds. Can you imagine that? Two million people in the wilderness and then one guy stands up and speaks the truth. Says we can do this. And later on he says, their defense is gone. Our God is with us. It doesn't matter, you know, what we face. Our God is with us. It doesn't matter whether, you know, when we were all excited and moving up from, from South Wales, from Risca to Newcastle, and we came up and we thought, oh, these great houses had fallen into place, the mortgage was agreed, and everything was going according to plan. And suddenly, we have to give up jobs to make the move, and we make the move and we come up. And I remember Bab saying to me, when do you think you'll be back in work? Oh, by Christmas. I didn't know which Christmas. And it was against the odds. It was nine years later. But through it all, God was faithful. And through it all, God remained true to his word. And through it all, God still is. Because his promises don't come with a sell-by date. It's not like you walk in the supermarket and you squeeze the bread to see which one is fresh. It's not like you get this promise. Is this one... Is this one good for use today? So all God's promises are yes and amen in Christ. That's what they are. So when God called this place into being, the Durham Center, you may not realize it was against the odds. There were planners, I believe, that were in the way preventing progress. And God answers prayer and they're removed. And the accountant said, you're crazy. This is mad. There's a recession on. Businesses are closing down. People are being laid off work. Unemployment is rising. And you're opening a new business venture in the middle of a recession against the odds. But who blessed it? God did. It doesn't matter how great the faith happens to be. God is after faith that is like a mustard seed. The difference between a mustard seed and an acorn is not just the size. You can shake the acorn, you can, you can hear the thing inside the shell. In a grain of mustard seed, there is nothing else. It's just mustard seed. There's no room for doubt. There's no room for unbelief. There's no room for anything. It's just a mustard seed of faith. And God is not necessarily after men and women of great faith. He's after men and women, young people, boys and girls, whatever, with no doubt. We simply put our trust in a living God.
and say, against the odds, this is what we're up for. Against the odds, this is why we're here. Against the odds, doesn't matter how big the giant happens to be. And according to some scholars, the sons of Anak were like 13 feet. They made Goliath look a bit small. They were huge people, apparently, these men of renown. Massive giants. But of course, a giant is a G-I-ant. It's a God-instructed ant. It can go no further than God will allow. But God requires our faith. It says in Hebrews, without faith, it is impossible to please God. But it's against the odds. Now, if you quickly turn to, uh, I go back to Genesis 6 in my invisible version. Genesis 6, the story of Noah. The Lord came down and looked around a spell. There was Mr. Noah behaving mighty well. And that is the reason the scriptures record Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. The Lord said to Noah, there's going to be a flood. There's going to be some water. There's going to be some men. Take off your hat, Noah. Take off your coat. Get ham, sham, and jabeth and build yourself a boat. But God didn't tell Noah how to fell a tree. He didn't tell Noah how to strip it and how to turn it into planks. That's why it took him 120 years to build it. He had to make the tools for the right job. God just gave him the blueprint. It needs to be this wide, this long, this high. Put a window here and a door there. And Noah's left up to, to make it happen. How do you produce scaffolding so the thing doesn't fall over when you're building it? And it's 120 years later, against the odds. Noah is successful, and he's successful as a preacher of righteousness because in his day, he put his faith and his trust in God. The facts stacked against him, but against the odds, he was faithful to what God had called him to do. The sad thing is in Numbers 13, it's the leaders that are full of unbelief. Now, this would be for the church, obviously, down the road, as the saying goes. It's not just... It's not just ordinary people. The people were affected by what the leaders said. And the challenge is, as leaders, what are we saying? What are we speaking out? Are we speaking faith? Now, there is a building across the road that is ours by divine right. And against the odds, God will deliver that building into our hands because all it is is a giant as an obstruction. It is a God-instructed ant. It's kind of small as far as God is concerned. But 1 Samuel 17 has this wonderful story in it, the story of David and Goliath. I love this story. It's the little kid beating the bully. It's great. You know, it's fab. I think King Saul breathed a sigh of relief the day when David turned up. You know, David is sent to the, the battle lines by his dad. And his dad says, you know, Jesse says to me, oh, here's some bread, some cheese, some provisions. Take these and find out what's going on. So he arrives. And there he is. Hands his provisions over to the guy in charge. And he's asking the people, well, what's going on? And then suddenly this big guy, Goliath of Gath, steps on the scene. And starts to shout his insults. Starts to shout his, his accusations. Starts to put them down. Starts to declare that he's bigger and better than them. And, and David says, what will be done for the man that defeats this uncircumcised Philistine? Oh, he get the king's door. He'll have wealth, wealth and riches and all the rest of it. And, and so the, the word spreads around. And eventually... David is brought before King Saul. Now, King Saul, we're told, is head and shoulders taller than everybody else. That's just a fact. That's all it is. 
But he wasn't very big on the inside. Because if he had, he'd have gone and taken on Goliath, knowing that his confidence wasn't in his own strength. His confidence was actually in the strength of the living God, who was the head of the armies of Israel. But King Saul is already defeated. He's a bit like the ten, the ten spies that went in. His, his vision is shifted. His gaze is not on where God is at. His gaze is on this guy being a lot bigger, and now I'm full of fear. And David comes along, and David talks to the king. And I got this feeling that it's not in the script, but I get this feeling that Saul must have breathed a huge sigh of relief and thought, well, if you're mad enough to go like on your way, I'll try and help you. Like, you know, use my, use my arm, use my armor, put this on. Well, your King Saul is, is a big guy and David probably isn't at the age of 17, but he dresses up like King Saul. Now, had he gone down to the battle line dressed as King Saul, it would have been a struggle for him and Goliath would have looked and thought, well, you know, That kind of looks like King Saul, but it's not behaving like King Saul. But David knew that King Saul's armor was not right for him. And he takes it all off, and he goes to the brook, and he picks up five smooth stones. And he's got these five smooth stones and a sling. But David has already won the battle. The victory is already David's. It's David's because his confession is, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David's victory is already certain. What's going to happen, he may not know. But he does know this, today, God will deliver you into my hands. And the Goliath arrives and he shouts insults at David. And what's it all about? And who do you think you are? You come to me with sticks and stones. You think I'm a dog and all the rest. I'm going to feed your body to the birds and... And David says, no, not today you're not, because my God will deliver you into my hands. And this day, I'm going to chop your head off. Well, that's a mean thing to say like a big guy. But David's confidence was not in his own ability. As good as that was, let's not take anything away from David's ability with a sling and a stone. In fact, I think we're told in the end of Judges that people in their day with a sling and a stone could hit a hare at a hundred yards. Well, that's kind of accurate. So there's this big guy, and there's David, and David's like... And it hits him on the only part of his body that is unprotected. And he falls to the floor. But David's success is not in the sling. It's in his confidence and his confession before God. And when the going gets tough, what is my confession? We all have giants. We all have things that get in the way. But what is my confession? What is our confession? Right now, we face a big challenge. We've got a building over there that belongs to us. But we can't use it because there's a problem with the heating design. You could blame the designer. Maybe there's a giant in the background. Let's get in the way. Let's try to stop what God wants us to do. Well, it needs to go on record today that come what may, devil, we will feed the nations because that's what God has called us to do. We will do it through that building. We will do it through that resource center that God has given us because today, 
you will be defeated because our God is the God of heaven. Our God is the God of the living armies. Our God is on our side. He is against you. And we will feed the nations. And just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, even if our God doesn't, we still won't bow the knee and change what God has called us to do. We will continue to send people. We will continue to meet the needs. We will continue to do what God has called us to do because our God is faithful. He will continue to rescue. Why? Because he first rescued us. And because of his rescue operation in us, we want to be seen to be faithful in our generation to rescue those that God sends us to and causes to cross our paths. But the, the challenge is this. What will you do with the giant in your life? What will I do with the giant in my life? Will I allow fear to rob me? And I do believe that a people here today, you're fearful of the dark. It's that moment when you need to go to sleep and you can't because the, the mind doesn't just kick into overdrive, but it's like memories from the past flood you and you can't seem to get over it. God wants to set you free from the giant in your life. It may be. It may just be that when we consider the building across the road and going forward and the pressure that it brings, that there are times when fear and the unknown and the uncertainty gets the better of us. But we need to remind ourselves, our God is able. It's our God who is able. Why? Because behind the scenes, there is, as it were, an uncircumcised Philistine that is trying to prevent God's work from going forward. But as a community, we need to be strong in faith. We don't need to be like the children of Israel who want to go back to what it used to be because it's easier to go back than it is to press forward. We need to rise in faith and let our faith match the faith with the elders to support them and uplift them. So together, we claim the ground that God has promised us and promised on oath, as it were, the same as he did to Abraham. A covenant-keeping God is who we serve. We've been worshipping him this morning. He is, he is the way maker. He is the miracle worker. He is the one that makes a way in the wilderness. He is the one that spread the table in the wilderness. And when the children of Israel said, oh, we need some meat. Oh, if only we had meat to eat. It says, I think it's in Levit either Leviticus or Numbers, they ate meat till it came out of their nostrils. It's kind of the ate it till they were sick of it. It's kind of a graphic picture, but if you want God to spread the table in the wilderness, well, God can do it. Because even when the odds are against us, they're not against God. And God never called any of his people at any point in history to do something whereby they already had in place the finance, the skills, the materials, the tools, the people. If it was, we would do it ourselves and we wouldn't need God. God always calls his people to something that is outside of them, so it's always about him. It's about his provision, his glory, his reputation, his name. It's not our reputation that's on the line. It's his name. It's his reputation. And we're here to serve a risen Savior. And if you struggle today with your faith, if you struggle with fear, well, we want to pray for you. But I'm praying that God will give this church, this congregation, and those that are normally with us, but 
or on holiday or elsewhere, a spirit of faith that will rise up against the odds and see that building become our possession fully. Not half-heartedly, not a white elephant across the road, but fully functioning and operational for the glory of God. Because this day, our God will deliver our enemies into his hands. Because if the battle is not ours, says David, the battle is not mine. My God is going to deliver you. The battle belongs to God. But he does require our faith. He does require our diligence. And in the meantime, we will keep fulfilling what God has called us to do. Now, if the word at the beginning to do with the shadow, underneath the shadow, applies to you, I would love to pray with you. Afterwards, you'll have the band back up, please. And if you struggle and you've got fears that seem to... I don't mean the normal things that kind of come and go, but that thing that rises up in you and causes you not to look at God and causes you to feel swamped, full of despair or what a trepidation, whatever it is, we want to pray for you as well, that God will bring you release today. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you, guys.